Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? How are you today? Sitting here with Stephen Brown. First time in the new command center, whatever we're calling this. Yep. I, it's a... Uh, it's it's where we're gonna start, but it's it's quiet. Oh, it's quiet. It's comfortable. Yeah, and uh, cozy, <laughs> and, and still requiring a small payment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I've I've I met you what two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. Yeah, and we've been talking about getting. To doing do this. this, yeah, for talking about doing almost this. two years. Yeah, either you're you're not available, or I'm not available. Well, any. <laughs> And so this year, this is the year where we're, we're we're honing in. We're doing as many of these as we can this year. That's good, yeah. Because our stories are sacred. Our stories are valuable. You've got some great stories. And you got to get them before we're gone. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm 74 years old. I ain't gonna be around that much longer. <laughs> well, I hope you give us another 20 or so. Oh man, why? <laughs> <laughs> one one of the uh, one of the pastors that. Um, church we support uh she posted that one of the members of the church had a heart attack in 94 she was still out there playing piano caring for people doing all kinds of stuff it, a heart attack at 94 is kind of the way to go you're not dying like weird yep. stuff you know yeah. boom it's over <laughs> what was that they say i want to go uh quietly in my sleep not like my grandfather with everybody in the car screaming and hollering. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd, uh, I thought this was a good idea. I like the idea of preserving these stories. Because uh, I was just reading where there's only a third of us Vietnam veterans left between the suicide and... Because that's something nobody... Well, the media hasn't really honed in on told because people do know it. But of the 22 a day, half of those folks are over 50 years old. Yep. They're in their 60s, they're in their 70s, which means that they're Grenada, Vietnam. Yep. And the average the average age of the Vietnam vet now is in the 60s. Is it? Because it's been how many years? Since, you know, the, the youngest, I think the youngest is like 60 in their, in their early 60s. Because yeah, I was born in 71, and, and I didn't yeah. realize this, but the Vietnam War didn't end in 71. Did no, it? 70, 73, 74, something like that. I mean, it went on. Yep. That, like, and I, how did I not know that? My dad did 29 years in the Army. If I don't know it, I yeah. guarantee you others don't know it. Well, you know, everybody has their own perception of things, their own little world. They, they live in their bubble. Mm-hmm. And they only know about the things they know about, and they don't look at other things. It's, it's not conducive to them right now. They've focused on this, and they're focused on that, raising kids, going to school, whatever. And they, this is ancient history. I and mean, it's over 50 years. You know, half a century ago, oh, half a century ago, this war was. People don't even, I mean, World War II just came back into light when they brought that World War II veteran uh, to, to the NASCAR. You know, oh or, no! The not, was it the NASCAR? Yeah, NASCAR. Uh, yeah, and then there was and one the, of the, Super, and the Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah, and the thing in the beginning of the Super Bowl with Johnny Cash, and they showed the flag. Yeah, it was so cool. Oh yeah, he does. He he did a beautiful song about the flag. This old flag. This old flag, and they yeah. showed it at the beginning of the Super Bowl. Yeah. I thought, yeah. and a bunch of the owners came on. And they talked about how 
important the flag is to our nation. Oh, you know, people, we, we lack patriotism today. It, we're so self-absorbed in what we're doing. You know, getting ahead, getting, you know, the next big right thing and shiny things, you know, it, it, we lose it. But like me, I, like I say, I, at 17, I had dropped out of high school, no prospects. So I decided I'm going into service. I went down to where, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, I went down to where they had all the branches of the service. Yeah. And I walked over and looked at the Army, and they had this tie on and stuff. I, I don't want to wear a tie. <laughs> and then I walked over and I looked at the uh, Marines. And they had this dress blues with the tight high collar. No, that's not it. I looked at the Air Force, and all I could do was laugh. <laughs> and then, then I walked over and seen the Navy in their blues with the scarf and the open collar. I said, that's for me. And I joined the Navy. Had to get my mother's permission because I was 17. What when, year? What year is this? 19, August 1963. Ooh. <laughs> A long time ago. I told you I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went and got in, went boot camp. You know, first time on a plane, flew to Great Lakes, Illinois. Uh, got out of boot camp and got assigned to a ship in a place called Bremerton, Washington, across from Seattle. Been there. They had just refitted this ship. It was called the USS Wright CC2. CC stood for Command Communications. When I got on, I found out that they had made a contingency, during the Cold War, they had made a contingency plan. They had Cheyenne Mountain and they had some other places, but they also had two ships, the Northampton and the Wright. One of us stayed at sea all the time in case the president had to evacuate the White House. To, for, an option. For, an option, as an option. So we had facilities for the president, his staff, and uh, count, cabinet and stuff like this. So it was a... Uh, it was a really interesting ship. Let me recap to keep us going. <laughs> so at 17, you drop out of school, and the next thing, you're part of the plan to care for the President of the United States. Just like that. Yeah, that's, that's the way life goes with me. I mean, I go from zero to 100. Just bam, that's it. <laughs> that's really cool. And after, after two years on that, well, I had, the, I had the distinct honor. I was a shipfitter, pipefitter, which is a plumber for civilians. Uh, I had to go up there uh, once a week to the president's stateroom. Now, you just didn't walk up to the president's stateroom. They had this big steel door with a Marine in front of it. You had to go up there, show him. I've been there a hundred times. You had to show him your ID. He'd pass your ID through a little slot in the door. They would check it. Then he would step aside, take out his pistol. You would go in where there would be two Marines in that little courtyard, a little entranceway, and they would have their guns out. And they checked your ID against you to make sure you was who it is. Then you had to wait while they drew curtains across all the computer and monitoring equipment. Then these two Marines, one in front, one in back, would escort you to the president's stateroom. Where I would flush the toilet, run water in the shower, run water in the sinks. I mean, that's a very... <laughs> you had to have secret clearance to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we left. Well, I was on board the ship couple of weeks when Kennedy got assassinated. Kennedy. Kennedy. Because he got assassinated in 63. Whoa. They come on board the speaker and said, uh, the President of the United States has been assassinated. You have 24 hours to complete any business you have in Seattle and Bremerton. We're, we're taking off the sea. Destination, classified. Duration, 
classified. So we took care of everything, got on the ship, and went out to sea. And we were out there for a couple of weeks, just in the Pacific. Next thing we know, we're pulling into Panama, going through the Panama Canal. We get through the Panama Canal. When we get to the Atlantic side, they're rioting against Americans. We had to have guards on the pier to keep them from trying to storm the ship. Wow. So then we, from there, we went up, went up to Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's where I stayed in and out for the rest, rest of my tour on board ship. Then when uh, my tour, my, my enlistment was up, I went and talked to them because I didn't like being on the ship. Uh, we had gone up the North Atlantic a few times, which wasn't really fun. And uh, I always thought that being on the ship was kind of like being in jail with a chance to drown. So, so I said, in okay. jail with a chance to drown. Yeah, because <laughs> you're below decks. Pardon? Hey, Joe Hi, Joe that. So, uh, I I thought you know, because you're you're below decks most of the time. You don't have a window. You're in steel steel walls, steel decks, and bulkheads and stuff. So there'd be days unless you make an effort to go up topside for something. Uh, you were constantly inside, no windows. So when I talked to the reenlistment officer, I told him, I said, you know, what else do you have with my skills that I could do that would get me off a ship? So he said, well, they're looking for CBs. And I said, that's fine. What's a CB? <laughs> and he said, they're Navy Mobile Construction Battalions. He said, they build things all over the world on land. I said, sign me up. And I reenlisted into the CBs. Went to A school in a place called Port Hainimi, California. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great place. Right outside Oxnard. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I was there in school, and they said, okay, you're going to Gulfport, Mississippi. Well, I'd been in the CBs long enough, no, they only had two bases. O uh, Port Hainimi, California, and Davisville, Rhode Island. And so I said, okay, so we, I went to Mississippi. Well, we walked in there. The first thing I noticed is that the bob wire was facing in around the fences around the base. That seemed a little off to me. Yeah. <clears throat> we yeah. got to the barracks. We had to open the barracks up, and there was the light bulbs hanging from the things. We looked over to lockers, all German names. It seems Gulfport was a prisoner of war camp for Germans during World War II. But that was our new home. <laughs> so we got there with 35 of us to get the base ready. Now, uh, what are you getting ready for? Well, for battalions. They were expanding the CBs. They were adding more battalions because they needed them for Vietnam. So I was assigned to Mobile Construction Battalion 62. <clears throat> we had 331, 1, 3, all bunch of battalions there. So then we got that all done. We got our equipment in. After a couple of months, the battalions were formed. Our equipment had arrived. We got ready for deployment. So you had to make a list of everything you could think you might possibly need. Because once you left Gulfport, there was no resupply. If you didn't have it, you didn't have it. And you weren't, you weren't filling in on somebody. You guys were fresh going. Oh, yeah. We were, just, we were, a, fresh, we were a fresh battalion. Hadn't been there before. We went to uh, 
a little bit of rifle train, extra rifle training and stuff like this. But then they put us on a, a C-130 with all our gear and took us to Vietnam. And you haven't really enjoyed flying. You think the planes are bad today? Sit on a jump seat for three or four days <laughs> with your rifle between your legs you doze off I've got a permanent scar <laughs> from dozing uh, but we, we flew to California landed they refueled and we flew to Hawaii well they had rigging for stretchers to be put up in the C-130 so we did a little recon and found that they had some of these canvas stretchers here in different places in Hawaii that weren't there when we left <laughs> and so we put the stretchers up so at least some of us could get up and get up into that and the rest of us could spread out. The nice thing about a C-130, it doesn't have a restroom. You have yep. to go, they pass a bucket down to you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so you spend three or four days doing that. Uh, you box lunches and buckets. <laughs> but uh, we went, then from there, from Hawaii, went to Midway. And then from Midway, we landed in Vietnam at a place called Wei Fu Bai. And we got off the plane, and I swear to God, I thought I stepped into an oven. I mean, it was like 105 outside. That heat hit us like a hammer. Well, most of us were kind of not happy, just wishing somebody would take a shot at us. We were ready to kill somebody. <laughs> but uh, then we went to a... Uh, you're cooking, you're tired, you're hot. I mean, you, you're just... You're, you're wearing uh... a, you haven't had a shower in three days. So we got to uh, a base in a place called Way, H-U-E, and that was our, we had huts there, surrounded by mud. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got our, we got in there, we got settled. The next day, my team got pulled out. We got sent to a place called Dong Ha. It was a, an aluminum matted airstrip where C-130s would come in, unload troops, unload supplies. Other ones would come in, pick up troops, pick up supplies. What do you mean by aluminum matted? We have a, a system for, uh, if we need a runway mm -hmm. where you can't put in asphalt and stuff like that, we have these plates that interlock together and we can put an airstrip down in about a day, a short airstrip for a plane to glam, and they're made of aluminum. It's called aluminum sats matting. And they'll take the That's pounding cool. of a C-130, hitting it and landing. Wow. And so we had this air stripped down, and the C-130s would come in. But the problem was they put us in a tent alongside the airstrip. Oh. Well, it was sandy. So when you went to sleep, we, we could only work at night because the planes were in out all day. So we, had, we got the privilege of putting a, a floodlight on our work at night so we could be silhouetted for targets. <laughs> now, were, were they shooting at you? Oh, yeah. Oh, they were. That, that was what we were doing. They would uh, drop a, a mortar or a rocket onto the airstrip, and we'd have to go and pull parts of it out, replace it with other parts, so it'd be open for uh, business the next day. I mean, we didn't we didn't shut down for nothing. We had days we were out there doing repairs in between planes would like come flying in. We would drag our gear, pull it off. The plane would shoot by. We'd drag our gear back out. And, what year is this? 64, this 65? Is, uh, yeah, this, uh, six, oh, 60, this was 66. 66. Not, yeah, 1966. So by that time, Vietnam was going 24 hours a day. Yep. And, I mean, you, you, I'd like, you go to sleep in the morning, there'd be nothing there. 
you wake up in the afternoon and there's 500 troops, pallets of supplies, ammunition, guns, stuff like that. Next morning, it's all gone. Tell us about sleeping in that kind of heat. I mean, there's people. I, I'm with you something, but. Well, uh, we had the tent. We just rolled up the sides, and you'd put a towel over your face so you wouldn't breathe in too much of that dust from whenever those planes took off, they would blow the sand all over the place. So you're covered in filth. Oh, you're covered, yeah, all the time. You know, and then you just... Were there nice showers, clean defects? <laughs> showers? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, was, there was a creek not too far where you just take a bucket and pour it on your head, and that was, that that was, was it. I, that was it. Uh, then uh, occasionally we'd go out to do other little things, and we had other little projects that they would pull us off for. Uh, one of them I could tell you about was we had to go do uh, add gun emplacements on the DMZ at Camp Carroll. And we poured, I did the rebar work for concrete to be poured so they could place more cannons that would shoot across the DMZ. <laughs> and then, you know, we went around and they pulled us back to the way and we did our, you know, job there. And then we went home and uh, our tour was over, went, went home. And then someone had the bright idea, we're sending you all to Camp Lejeune to learn jungle fighting. So we went there. None of the Marines that were training us had been to Vietnam. And they're trying to tell us what to expect and what to look at. Well, we've already been through the shit and shell. <laughs> so it was, it, it was a fun tour. You know, and then we went back, and of course it was re-outfit, re, resupply, get everything together. And we got to go back over to a place called Da Nang. <clears throat> and uh, well, Da Nang was beautiful. I mean, first off, you've seen the aerial photograph. There was nothing green anywhere. Really? I mean, from the whole, you look from the whole base, an aerial shot, there was nothing green growing anywhere. They had killed off. Agent Orange did the great stuff. And uh, So you were in Agent Orange. Oh, we had time. We went through clouds of it. Let's, let's talk about that for the American people. I mean, because okay. there's people that have no clue. I grew up, there's a dump site out here. Yeah. Um, Mullet Creek, and I grew up right behind right the Mullet Creek dump site. Tell, okay. tell us all. Okay. I, I don't know. Perfect, really. perfect example. Uh, we were going out to build a special forces camp. So, to clear a spot, first off, they flew over and dropped a 500-pound bomb. And that cleared some of the vegetation. And we went in with bulldozers and leveled it all off. Then the, sea went, then the, the planes would fly over, dropping Agent Orange to defoliate around it. While you guys are down there. Oh yeah, we were working in a fog. Uh, you know, they, it, was, it was perfectly safe back then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they told us so. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there were several times they did that. We, we got sprayed, and it just kills all the vegetation. Makes all the green stuff die. That was the point. So they can't hide in the jungle. And it makes it easier to, to move around. But it also makes it easier for them to figure out where you're going to go, so they can booby trap it and, uh, with punchy pits and deadfalls and Pun punchy pits. What's that? Okay, they would dig a hole mm -hmm. and they would take bamboo. They would sharpen it and they would burn it. It makes it almost like steel. And then they would dip it in feces and they would put it in this pit. So when you come walking, your foot would go through it. It would stick you in the foot. Wow. Well, everyone that got stuck. That takes out three people. It takes out the two people that help him get out and the guy that got hurt. Plus, with the feces on it, 
you're guaranteed of an infection. So that was just one of the things. Then they would take branches with bamboo spikes and bend them around. You trip them, and they would swing around and take you in the chest. Uh, we found a 500-pound bomb that had been there too long, which luckily for us, it was hung from a tree with a trip wire over a 50-caliber 50 caliber shell. So that if you trip it, the bomb would fall down, hit the shell, there was a nail on the back side of the shell, it would shoot the 50 caliber round up into the 500 pound bomb, setting it off. So these were some of the, luckily this one had been there long enough, the vines had grew around it where it didn't trip. But, uh... Talk, that's something I, I heard one other guy talk about, and I don't have it on film or anything, okay. and talk about the vines and the overgrowth and how quickly that happened. Oh, uh, you... If, that's why they used Agent Orange. We could go in there with a bulldozer, knock everything down, clear it. A month later, we got to go back because it all grew back. The vines and One the bushes. One month. A month, yeah. And, and I, how big were these vines? Uh, well, they're just long, and they, they tangle everything. You can't get through. You hit them with machetes. You, know, you, you wear yourself out trying to cut through with a machete. So we'd have to run bulldozers through... Um, Army Airborne come by one time to our to our shop and wanted to know if we could do something because they were driving jeeps down roads that they had driven a month before, and the vines had grew back over the roads. So they said, "What can you do for us?" So we took a piece of steel and made this tooth piece that went up the front of his jeep, and we sharpened it so that they could cut through the vines. It's it, kind of ramming through. Yeah, it's ramming through because well, if someone's shooting at you, you don't want to. Stop, get out, hack through vines, and, and go. You wanted to step on the gas and go. So we did a lot of stuff like that. We mounted the uh, recallers rifles on jeeps. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we did a lot of a lot of bastarding stuff with uh, equipment. That uh, matter of fact, we even there was a helicopter that went down a Cobra, and uh, they salvaged the electric gun from it, the machine, the Gatling gun. Mm -hmm. We mounted that on a Jeep, but the problem was we had to fix it so they had a, what they call a mule, a little trailer behind yeah. it to hold the ammunition because it fired, <laughs> it fired 5,000 <laughs> rounds a minute. <laughs> well, at this time, you're like 17, you joined in 63, now 66, you're 23 years old. Yeah, this was 67, we were up there in Da Nang. Was, oh no! The, oh, yeah. okay. So I, I was there in sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight, and sixty nine. How many tours have you done? Three. They and, they like me. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, but uh, I well, I had clearance for some of the projects that uh, other people couldn't do. And uh, matter of fact, we, I was, we were talking about it just recently. Some of the things we were doing would be considered war crimes today. But back yeah. then, it back was then just... it was just just how you did things. Uh, I mean, because there was no real. The only problem we had was our government telling us, "Oh, you got a you got a, a movement of VC coming down, you know, move move a mile east. Why can't we just go kill them? You know, they would stop us. They let them go. Someone else is going to take care of it. You know, and it, it was it was so crazy towards the end, and we were we were nuts too. I mean, you know, you get because. Uh, what do you mean by we were nuts? I mean, you're under such stress because here you are trying to 
build a bridge or putting up a building or building vet camps and stuff, and people are shooting at you, rockets come in occasionally. You never know when a rocket's going to come in, when a mortar's going to come in. You know, it's just 24 hours day by day. Right, your third, I mean, three tours, and you volunteered for every one of them. Oh, yeah. I had to I had to sign a waiver because I was the only surviving son to carry on the name. I had to sign a waiver just so I could go. I had to go talk to a psychiatrist to see if I was stable enough to go. I was stable enough to go, but I wasn't stable when I came back. <laughs> so that's that is the last one. Huh? <laughs> but then you know I did that, and after after all of that craziness, uh, I got to go to uh, be an auxiliary driver for the UN in New York. Talk to me. That sounds cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like a lot better yeah, than Asian Wars. 69 and 70. So what happened? Did they do anything as far as um, debriefing? No. The, the last time I came back, they came out and they said, grab your gear. So we grabbed our gear and they took us in trucks. They took us to the airport. We went from the jungle fighting for your life to getting on the plane and going home. Just like that. And when you got home, nothing. Oh, yeah, we got spit on and cussed at. It was all that, you know. We got to meet all the people that hated us because we were drug crazed baby killers. Did, they, did the military let you know that that could possibly happen? Nope. They just flew us in and uh, we, we flew from Vietnam to Japan where we got to take a shower because we were still covered in muck and dirt and mud. And we took showers. We, then they put us on a regular, like a commercial type plane. And flew us to, uh, we went to Alaska, and then to California. And then from California, we got, we went to Mississippi. And uh, he embarked there, and it would, then I got my transfer orders. But, but no no training, no debriefing, no, you know, you go from fighting for your life to, you want fries with that? I mean. Just like that. Just like that. I mean, it's, it's uh, sort of like slamming the brakes on your brain. It, it, it's such a transition that you you when you came to your next job, what happened? I mean, they had to. I mean, you're working now. You're working for the UN. Yeah. Well, I got transferred to the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and I had driver's license for everything, from from a fifty thousand pound forklift to a forty five passenger bus to a limousine. I had I had license Navy license for everything, and uh, so they said to me, uh, "Would you like to?" Uh, be a, a driver, auxiliary driver for the UN. But I said, sure. You know, because CBs weren't really allowed to do much construction work in the States. It had to be classified as training. You couldn't just build, like, we couldn't go, we could have built that wall in no time in Mexico. But we're not allowed to work in the United States because, of, because the government wants to pay contractors so they can get their kickback. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, you know, they're trying to figure out where, where to put me. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went uh, down there, and uh, I drove, uh, they had a, a sailing ship from Germany, a training ship, and it was full sails and stuff, so they needed a driver. So I volunteered to take the night shift. It was called the Deutschland. And uh, so we went out there, and... Well, the captain, he had his own car. They put it on the, the executive officer had a, a friend, and she had a car. So he, he said to me, <clears throat> take the, the chiefs out, you know, let them t show them New York. 
So I went down to the mess hall, and they say, well, we're, we're getting ready to eat dinner. So I said, okay, well, yeah, we'll eat dinner. And uh, they had nickel beers, German beers. <laughs> In the world of beer, yeah, I'm a fan of the German beer. So uh, I had a couple of beers with, uh, with, with dinner, and then we got in the car, and you've never had fun like you have taken a bunch of German sailors to Germantown in New York. <laughs> and I couldn't buy a drink. Oh, I brought him. I was, yeah. You're on, yeah, you're working. And then we got, we partied there, and I took him back to the ship. But that was the kind of like duty I had. And then they had and it, the best, I tell you, the, the funniest time in my whole service was when they had an inspection. Here you have 40, Six foot, all look like cookie cutter Marines. They have the National Defense Medal, period. And they're coming down the line, Marine, Marine, Marine. And then here's this little short sailor, chest full of medals. <laughs> he he stepped over, he stepped back and said, Who the hell are you and where did you come from? <laughs> and uh, after that, whenever he had to go some that Admiral, wherever he had to go someplace, I was the guy he called. I want uh, Steve to drive me. <clears throat> well, you you done it. Yeah, I'd been there, and he he'd been there too. So. Oh, he went to Vietnam yeah, too. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. But uh, the fun part was, I was in Brooklyn in 1969, and this one guy said, "Hey, there's this big concert going on upstate New York." So we took some time off, and we drove, being Stevies and sailors. Uh, we like to be prepared. So we got a bunch of food and stuff and put it, he had a van. We put it in the van and we headed on up to Nasbet's farm up in New York for Woodstock. <laughs> Didn't know it at the time. I mean, we just thought, we just thought it was a concert. Yeah. And we got up there because we were going to buy our tickets when we got up there. <clears throat> and boy, the traffic, I mean, we hit traffic like you wouldn't believe. We got within a mile of where it was going to be, and we decided, well, there's this little field and there's some woods. Let's just pull the van over by the trees, and we'll park it. Yeah. So we drove on over there, parked it by the tree, and then we walked up to where the concert was. We listened to the music and heard all the stuff. But then it rained, and it rained, and it rained. <laughs> and we went, to, we went to our van... And it was setting on the axles because the tires and everything had sunk down. Into it, the mud? Well, because it was kind of like, not fresh, but had been plowed. <coughs> so, yeah, so the ground's aerated yeah. enough when that water so, hits it. So the concert's over, and we're trying to get out. No way. You can't push it. You can't pull it. You can't do nothing. I mean, it ain't moving. Here you are. <laughs> decorated Poor. war veteran decorated war heroes and we can't get a damn truck out of the mud <laughs> so uh we uh so we went and got a well there was like sleeping bags and, and tents and stuff all over the place that people had left so we went around gathering up all the ropes we could find went and got a tree branch and tied it to the back wheel so that when you went, it would lift the vehicle up and set it down. And with about 10 people that had seen us help pushing, in about three hours, we got it 
moved to where the soil where we could drive it three hours, <laughs> three hours of inch at a time inch at a time <laughs> so, so did you stay overnight at woodstock or oh yeah we were there for the whole time until it was over but the problem was uh well see they didn't have cell phones back then so we couldn't call the base to tell them that we were stuck in a field <laughs> and we weren't going to be back on time it we drew it took us two hours where we finally got to a payphone that we could call the base. We almost got court-martialed. For going to Woodstock. But not for going to Woodstock. No, I know, for not I being know. back. Yeah, but for going to Woodstock. <laughs> but it was it was incredible. I mean, you know. It so was, you saw Jimi Hendrix live. Oh, um, I walked up to hear him play the Star Spangled Banner, man. I was, I was within a quarter mile of him playing the Star Spangled Banner. And it rocked the house. Yeah. So did the Country Joe and the Fish. Did you ever hear them? No. Oh, he did. A, they did a song about Vietnam. Country Joe and the Fish. Yeah. Kate, write that down. Let's get yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it starts out, you know, uh, come on, all you big strong men, Uncle Sam needs your help again. He's got himself in a terrible jam way down yonder in Vietnam. So put down your books and pick up a gun. We're gonna have a whole lot of fun. <laughs> and it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Next stop, <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> And five, six, seven, open up the pearly gates. Ain't no time to wonder why. We'll be, we're all gonna die. <laughs> so, having heard that as, a, as um, oh, you know, there that, they are. Yeah. Y'all check those boys out. So, so that music, that, what that did was, it do for your soul after going through everything you All we through? could do was laugh because, I mean, that song, you know, uh, come on, Sanders, don't be late. Send them off before too late. Be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in the box. Oh my God. <laughs> and, but you I mean, lived it. Oh yeah, we lived it. I mean, it was funny to us, but we were we were demented anyway. <laughs> well, I, you know, and people ask me about that, like what happens. I think we changed a little bit. Oh, changed a little bit. You changed a lot. I, well, yeah. Um, I've never really socially adjusted. I was lucky enough to find my wife, who tolerated me. And put up with me, but she was my foundation. I mean, I still don't, you know. Uh, you... We we were just uh, just at a drug conference down in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I volunteer with the Walton County Prevention Coalition, and you know they they, they talk about this stuff, and you know they say, well, they were talking about how hard it is to talk to people, and I say, I don't worry about that. I tell them, I says, you know, I don't mind being obnoxious and rude and weird. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any any real friends, so to speak, social friends. I'm by myself most of the time. Uh, most nights, you can find me sitting in the dark. You know, it just, you don't, you don't really. I'm comfortable. You at mentioned night. your wife. Yeah, she passed away seven years ago. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. But uh, it was uh, she sort of grounded me. Now, my whole time in New York, and for three years after that, I, I didn't draw a sober breath. That was the only way I could function. I was drunk all the time. <clears throat> and then one day, by the grace of God, I think, I just decided, I don't want to drink anymore. And stopped. And I went five years without a drink. Wow. Now I might have a glass of wine occasionally or something like this. But uh, when I first came back, my head was so messed up. I mean, reality and, and perception and everything was screwed up. Uh, we were living in Newark, New Jersey, when an oil refinery blew up. If it wasn't for her, I'd have went out of a third-story window. But I thought I thought we were being bombed. I mean, I was sleeping. I jumped up and was heading for the window. 
you know, I mean, even today, the guns at Eglin, when they when they go off, it, a sound, a smell, and you're right back. And, it, and, and, and it's and it's wild about that, Steve, because I see you as a socially adjusted guy. Like I, we've known each other for almost a yeah. year and a half, maybe two years now. I, I met you at a coffee shop. You saw me playing. Yeah. Joe said, said, "Hey, this is another veteran." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to talking about life a little bit. But I guess, I guess, in one sense, all of us. I have my it, outside face. Yeah. And then I have my. Inside. What's going on for real? And uh, I went to these things where you talk about it and stuff like that. To me, it just made it worse. It just brought all the horror back. Back, you know. I mean, you're standing there just looking at the rockets coming right at you. You see the flame and the black dot. You know, that's it. You're dying. You know. And it just, you know, things like that. Or you're standing there. You're working, and the guy next to you's head explodes. You know. And that that's, was your reality for three that, three tours. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it, uh, towards the end, <clears throat> when they started shooting at us, everybody taking cover, I just took my rifle and stood there shooting back. Yeah. Kill me, don't kill me, I don't care. You know, you get so, uh, your brain just shuts down. It's just overload, you know. And sometimes I get like that now. It's just, you know, live, die, I don't care. And now the coffee shop, Josette 38 Coffee Shop, they have a, a poetry night at the end of the month. Yeah, man. That has been the best help. Because I get to write things down, think about things, <clears throat> read them. Did you bring any of your poems? I know you got your phone. No, no. You got anything? Can only you remember one, anything only, to say? Only, only one I have is the, uh, have you been there? And that's a hard one to read. <laughs> I saw you read it live, though. Yeah. Because you, you tagged me. You're like, hey, Matt. Yeah, I, I I read it about 20 times at home before I went there so I could read it without tearing up and choking up. Because it was, it was the... It hit me the most. Your, your concert that you did about the 20 a day, you know, inspired me. I went home and I, I wrote that that night. That was the night when I put the heads you up. You put the heads up. And the, you did the concert, and that, it just got to me because I know some of these people. 20. Yeah. And uh, they're fine. You see them, they're fine, they're happy, they're cheerful. And then they go home and eat a bullet. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it, it, it's not something that builds up over time on some of them. Some of them, it's, uh, this is the day. Boom. Let's do it. And they go. I me, I don't think I would do it because I don't feel right about what it does to other people. They don't realize it's not you solve your problem, but all you do is transfer it to the other people. When you commit suicide, it doesn't. It doesn't. It takes away the opportunity for things to get better. It does. You, you say that again. <clears throat> it takes away the opportunity for things to get better. Because that is exactly what you're like, and it, what and happens, it, and it affects everybody else in your family. Yep. Everyone that knows you suffers for what you did. So you didn't solve anything; you just create more problems. I, I mean, you stop the demons in your head. Yeah, they're done, but they but just transfer it to, to to everybody else, and and, that's, and I, I think that's what got me going. I mean, like when I when I drew that little skull. Yeah. 
And and knowing this about you with three tours and you see Vietnam in yeah. there, what yeah. does am I being dis I like I've wondered this. And you could say it. Yeah. Is it am I am I over the top with this? Like drawing this skull with Iraq and Vietnam no. and Korea or you know and, no. and I, and I it, the thing is Afghanistan. People today don't know about it. They I've seen them do talks on the streets and they mention Vietnam and they don't know what you're talking about. It's true. The history, we lost our history. You know, people don't care about history. It's not, they don't teach it. They run into people, and we're just weird, weird old guys in, in hats. Well, and I, and some, <clears throat> I was in Olympia, right up the road from where you're at. No, not Olympia. What's the name of that place? Port Angeles, Washington. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know the place. Yeah. So we were up there at a KOA. And this guy saw me playing outside. This is back when we had the minivan. We're yeah. living in the minivan yeah. at the time. And a guy saw me put up the thing, and I'm playing, and I'm talking to people. And he, he's working in the park, and he goes around, and he comes back around later after I tear him down. He says, he says, what the hell are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm, I, I came back from Afghanistan. I told him my story, yeah. you know. And he said, I'm a Vietnam vet. And he said, my wife asked me why I don't wear a hat. He said, you know, because thanks to you guys, it's yeah. popular to wear a hat yeah, since now. I went to Vietnam. He said, but when I came back, they didn't, and I mean, F them. You know, like, yeah. because they, the American people didn't want to hear your story. Yeah. They didn't want to know what was going on. Well, it's only been three years since I've been wearing a Vietnam hat because, you know, we weren't accepted. We weren't welcome. I mean, we were the, we were the enemy, not the Vietnamese. And so I never wore the hat. And then when they started recognizing us, I said, well, gee, you know, finally, after 50 years, we're getting a little appreciation for our sacrifice. Right. You know, it only took 50 years. And so I go to, if, they, if I read about a, a, a chili cook-off honoring first responders and vets, I go. Because I want them to see that, you know, I put on my hat, I got a, I put on a shirt, you know, well, you're still serving. I mean, you oh, do yeah. that stuff with the you're you're, you're Drug fighting calling. heroin. You're fighting meth. That's that's the that's the war we're losing. Is on this drug stuff. I mean, you're st- but you're still. Oh yeah. My point is, you're still in it. Oh yeah. Like yeah. you keep serving this I got, nation. I gotta have a battle. Like we were talking, like kids under twenty. I, I think it's guys under twenty six and girls under. You were saying girls about 24, 20, 23, 24. Their brains haven't developed yet. And so they shouldn't be doing the oh, I shouldn't say their brains it, it, haven't developed. The part of the brain that makes decisions and logic hasn't developed. It's not all the way there. That's why they that's why they take young men into the military. Because we're too stupid to realize we shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you were saying and, and I think it's important because like when we first met, you know, like I, I'm still alive because of THC. Because I was over medicated yeah. on heroin based yeah. drugs and some other psychoactive crap. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you said, Man, there's there's still uh even with C B D there can be some problems for the younger set. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, yeah. cause I okay. know you do some really good okay, stuff. Okay, what a here. lot of people don't understand is THC will help you sometimes. It does some people. But if you take it for a prolonged period of time, schizophrenia, depression, paranoia, these things start to take over. And 
they have this false thing that they say, well, you take the CBD. Well, CBD is what they use for cancer patients that are real bad, and they have a highly concentrated CBD. That There's two parts of, of marijuana, CBD and THC. The CBD is a very, in the marijuana plant, is very minuscule. And it does have some health effects for people. But these dispensaries, I went to a few of them, they tell you, oh, the THC makes it work better because the THC gets you hooked. See, then you, then you need it because you need that feeling, euphoric feeling. Well, I, and I personally, and, and this is a weird thing, you know, I don't do anything illegal. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Any, I'm just not. Yeah. And um, so if I'm in, like, Colorado, or, or I used to have a car down here. Yeah. But I'll smoke hemp now Yeah. Um, because it's, it's the legal stuff yeah. with the CBD in it. And hemp had the CBD, yeah. And, but... It doesn't have THC or some strains have a very, very... are, are just the opposite of what marijuana is. You'll yeah. have a very minuscule THC. Well, and I don't want to be high. I don't want to be drunk. I I want to be able to have a conversation well, they, with you. They, they've genetically engineered this stuff to a point now where they have two kinds of pot. One will mellow you out, relax you, make you feel good. The other one works sort of like cocaine. It fires you up. You can smoke it and go to work and work like the devil. But what they're not telling, they've genetically engineered these plants where they used to be a stalk. Now they're a bush or a tree. They're getting a fungus that's growing on it. Up in New York, they've had several several deaths from this fungus. People smoked it and got this fungus, and it killed them. In their lungs. In their lungs. And it's just, uh, there's so many, everything they discover gives them two more questions. Every question they answer. And there's, some people swear by it. But how much of it is true, and how much of it is in their heads? You know, uh, I've taken... Aspirin, and thought, well, gee, my leg feels so much better. And then one day I didn't take it, but my leg still felt better. You know, so was it the aspirin? Well, and, and that goes the thought. That goes back, like the one guy that um, he asked me on there, the, uh, the guy that does weed stuff. And we were talking. He said, well, you know, everybody's going to be different. Oh yeah. And in the in the thing is, what we try to push is moderation. And in everything I've done, I've done with my doctor talking to me. Yep. I mean, I talk with a doctor who is like, well, if you tried this, this will work for this. Um, yeah. And so I've done it, you know, yeah. like, because I don't, I've had a good time. I've drank too much. I've done, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and some of that's really you helped me. experience life. Yeah. And as a veteran, it's who we are. Yeah. We, we push the envelope. I don't know how many times I've, I've staggered out of VFW. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so, so I'm not saying that that's all bad, but the one thing I keep pushing on while we're doing this and for Vet Church is if when you when you talk about hope and forgiveness and faith and caring for others and loving others, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes it's important to sit down and hear the whole story from from more than one yeah. perspective too. Oh, the more the more I learn about this stuff, the more like say I, we we listen to two days of just conference after conference, telling you what the latest facts are. We had the the Surgeon General there going over this, you know. Uh, the thing now, tobacco use has dropped because vaping has taken off. And what these people don't realize, they're vaping. If if you you were a chain smoker with vaping, you would drown 
because you're taking in water vapor in your lungs. And yeah, because it's they're not vaping, they're not doing dry flour. No, no, they're do, they're using a liquid, and the liquid is there's water in it, and it coats the lungs. But there's so many bad things about vaping; they blow up. I mean, they showed us pictures of of things that have blown up in these people's faces. Guy lost an eye, another you know another another guy used it three times, vaped three times, and had to have a double lung in transplant because of oil in his but, lungs. But it just reacted with him. Because you know, uh, I've, I've vaped the dry herb stuff, and it's just like smoking. Yeah, but, but it's, it, 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 the effects, and the effects with them are accumulative. See, right now, everybody's a guinea pig because they don't know how bad it is. Yeah. Because the chemicals they're using, they don't know. You know, that's another thing. The chemicals they're putting, they're putting uh, fentanyl now. Fentanyl is the real big money maker because because of the legalization in Colorado and stuff of marijuana yeah we're not importing marijuana from uh Mexico and South America and so stuff bringing like that. In fentanyl. we're bringing in fentanyl now I watch that stuff you take a little bit of fentanyl oh my gosh and it'll it'll overdose you yeah I watched my mom but then they have much. they have a thing called car fentanyl a piece of car fentanyl the size smaller than the size of a head of pin head of a pin will kill you will overdose you to death car fentanyl car fentanyl where, where are they getting this well there it's like a refined fentanyl and they're bringing that in that's coming in from china and uh along with now the, the, Mexi the mexicans are, are mexicans are starting to make fentanyl but they haven't got the process down like china's got it down scientifically pure the stuff of mexico is maybe 35 Forty percent pure, but that's the big thing, and they're putting it in everything. They're putting it in the ecstasy. They're putting it in because it gives you that extra little high, and they're putting it in, in marijuana. They're putting it in cocaine, and they're putting all kinds of stuff. Now, if these people aren't experienced when they're cutting it, and then their formula, if their formula isn't exactly right, they're putting out poison. And I mean, I think. How did you get into what, to this stuff? How did you get into doing this? Well, at first I volunteered with the sheriff's posse. I had after my wife passed away, I was home for three years, just sitting watching TV, not doing nothing. And then I went to a, a citizens citizens committee thing, where the sheriff took you around and showed you, took you through the jail, took you through all the sheriff stations, showed you what they do, how they do it, and stuff. And they had the thing called the sheriff's posse here in Walton County. So I thought, well, gee, that'd be something I can, you know, get involved with. So I joined the sheriff's posse. Well, after about a year and a half of that, I had uh, had a heart attack. And after my heart attack, I can't take the heat. I'm outside 10 minutes and I'm ready to pass out. So I heard about this uh, drug coalition. They was having a meeting up in the Funiac. So well, let me go up and see what it is. You know, curious. I, I like to I learn stuff. I watch educational television and stuff like that. So I went up there, and everything they said, you know, when they started laying out the facts, I got literature. And <clears throat> so I went to my church, and I talked to them. So I became the faith-based representative to the Walton County Prevention Coalition. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> and right now, the problem is I'm trying to figure out how to get churches involved. 
because one of the things that I learned in these things is that young people that go to church regularly are less likely to be abusers of uh, drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. Well, I, I'm trying to get <clears throat> churches involved in like caring for vets, and it's yeah. like pulling teeth, yeah, man. Hurt, hurting cats. It, it's really odd that they're the most they're the most influential. They've got the ear of more people, but they all have their own agenda. Thing, own yep. agenda. This, this doesn't fit in. So my next goal is I'm a, I'm putting together a packet of information and a list of what they can do, and I'm going to try and hit the youth ministers. And if I can get if I can get one or two of them interested, you know. Well, I'll, just the fact that like your brain isn't done developing until you're twenty something years yeah. old. Would would tell me that like, and, and I remember growing up, like I got high a few times, right? Drunk a few times, mm-hmm. and then I thought to myself, "Man, we, it's hard to get because you couldn't get it." Yeah. And and the marijuana you get today, when we had it, it was maybe five percent THC. Now it's up to ninety. Oh, I know. 75, 90% THC. I had some in Colorado, <coughs> uh, California, and I was like, I, I can't do that Here's anymore. something that'll blow your mind. We found this out yesterday. They have the, you know, like that Mike's Lemonade? Yeah. It has a little bit of alcohol in it, yep. lemonade. Uh, they call them the sweet sweet drinks, sweet shots. Well, they have one now. It, uh, cool, it's cool aid, but it's in a tall can. Fourteen percent alcohol, which beer is five, three to five percent. If you look on the label, it says that it's uh, four servings. Kids are buying them because they're like a power drink, and they're drinking the whole thing. One can of that, like you and me, would put us over the limit for for a D to get a DUI. Kids are drinking it. Especially kids that aren't used to drinking, they drink a can, they go into alcohol poisoning. It's the equivalent of drinking six to seven, six to nine cans of beer. And it's in one can. And it's only two dollars and something. And it tastes good. It tastes good. It's sweet. It's the sweet, these sweet shot drinks. And they're unregulated. I was, I was listening, <clears throat> I think it's Malcolm Gladwell's book, How to Talk to Strangers. It's in one of his newer books, um, and he talks about one of the cases of a girl that went to a party, and they're shoot. They're all they're doing is getting drunk. Yep. And then she they they catch. Basically, there was a rape case involved. Yeah. But we're not even sure it's rape because they're so drunk. Yeah. We don't even know what happens. Yeah. So. So like I. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at a culture where it's not okay just to enjoy the other person. Yeah. Like, I get, I remember a guy, that, that a friend of mine who knew the Grateful Dead. I worked with him. He wasn't really a friend, more like a colleague. But we became friendly. It was when I first became a chaplain. And he knew the guys from the Grateful Dead. He knew Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir. And he said the music was so much more important of a drug than anything else that could have been passed around or anything. He's like, and we saw it all. We were the hippies, you yeah, know, in the sixties. Yeah. He <clears throat> said, but the music took me somewhere. Yeah. And it's still taking me somewhere. Well the music used to tell a story. You know, I mean the old music from the sixties. 
it told you a story. It, it started someplace, it went someplace, and it filled in the story. Now it's ten words, a lick, and and a, and a heavy beat, and that's it. That's why you know? I'm never going to be on the radio. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. But, uh, you know, I mean, but, like, hey, I can. Now, I tried marijuana twice, and I just went right to sleep. Well, that's, that, that's, that was that was back in in seventy. That's what's know. helped me out so yeah. much because I, I we, you know, for us, we came back. We were all on Ambien, and and it was like all of a sudden you you lose your sleep because you're doing twenty four hour ops and weird stuff. I got I got tested positive for for marijuana one time. I had had an everything bagel for breakfast, and the sesame seeds showed up on the drug test. No, it's not <laughs> sesame. It's a uh, not sesame. It's a uh, yeah, well, what's up? Poppy, poppy seeds, poppy seeds. Poppy seeds. <laughs> it showed up, huh? Yeah, that's a liquid. I don't do. Hey, before we leave the drug <laughs> thing, I do want to like I want to say that again. Um, so my mom was going through the cancer, mm-hmm. and they put that patch on her, but they gave her too much, mm-hmm. and she we thought she was going to die that day, and we called the nurse, and the nurse like take that patch off immediately, and then she could drink again, and we had her. Mentally around for about four more days, mm-hmm. but that that fentanyl stuff, and the, you say they're adding it to everything. Fentanyl. 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 Yeah, they're. Uh, uh, you would be. They uh, had this concert down in uh, Tampa, and they'd had a problem with drugs a year before. Okay. So they had a bucket where the line was, and it was a no questions asked where you can get rid of your drugs because they were checking people for drugs so you could put them in there just walk and walk away well they took a bunch of them and they tested them almost every they're all because they have pill mills now they make a pill look just like whatever whatever you want and the biggest percentage of them all had fentanyl in them but they also had rat poison in them they had uh, uh, baking soda you know, they they just whatever they happen to have, they throw it in to cut it, and then sometimes they cut it too much, so they'll add like fentanyl or stuff like that to give it a to, little to give it a little boot bump because otherwise people won't buy it again. So you know, but like I say, if you get someone that's not real experienced with with the recipes for cooking this stuff, there's no telling what you're going to get. That's why that's when you see like large amounts of overdoses. Because they all got their drugs from the same guy, and he wasn't experienced enough to cut it or cook it. Or they call it cook it, or step on it. But uh, to where it's he had, had a consistent formula, and they keep bringing it in. They keep bringing it in. Well, it's weird to me that like there is so there's there's so much that's legal. If you want to if you want to smoke weed, go to a place. it's legal in all kinds mm-hmm. of places where they're like doing it. There's, but I think human nature. We want to rebel a little bit. Yeah. That that plays in. Yeah. Hey. Oh, sorry <laughs> about this, kid. Um, the this thing you're wearing. Oh, that's the Celtic uh, cross. This represents the Trinity. So are uh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. I'm Irish. Irish. Okay. <laughs> Got my ancestry back. I'm, I'm Irish, German, and French. Yeah. But. A lot of the French went to Ireland and moved it after battles and stuff. They settled in a place called Galway. And 
one of the kings in Ireland said that the French were more Irish than the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Ireland was made up. You know, you got Normans and mm -hmm. French and Germans and stuff all in there. But they're all Irish, and they all claim to be Irish. So. Uh, now, have you been, are you going to go to Ireland? Uh, it's cool there in the summer. I want to go, <laughs> I want to go with just money. <laughs> well, are, now are you retired military or no? No, I'm just re, I'm just retired, living on my social security, and I get to well, I have from the navy. I I was gifted with the asbestos scarring in my lungs, oh, and I was gifted with Agent Orange. So they give me a they give me a few hundred bucks every month. Yeah, but but they you ain't getting rich on that. Oh, uh, right, yeah. it, you know it it doesn't even pay my light bill. <laughs> yeah. But you know it, it's something, and that well, was my social security, and uh, I I make enough where I can. Put aside a little money, and then like this year, I, I drove up. I'm from New Jersey originally, so I drove up to Jersey. First time I've been back in 40 years. No way. That's, that's awesome. My, my family home is now a parking lot for a restaurant. <laughs> Our uh, an apartment I lived in is now a stained glass shop. The house my wife and I had when we moved down here is a convenience store now. They tore it down, put it in a convenience store. I mean, the only thing that was there that I recognized. Well, I used to volunteer with the uh, ambulance service in the town, a place called Matawan. Okay. And they had an ambulance service, so when I got out of the service, I was with my wife, we, we, I volunteered the ambulance service. That's still there, and the bagel shop is still there. Everything else has changed. Gone. <laughs> Gone. But you know, I, I, I went, every time I go up, I have a brother who lives in Delaware. So I generally go up, and I always, I always wanted to go to Williamsburg and Jamestown. But yeah. every time I went up or came back, it was raining. Aww. This time I was heading up, and it wasn't raining, so I quick pulled. I pulled into Williamsburg, went to Williamsburg, and Williamsburg is cool because when you get your pass to go around to all the museum stuff, as a veteran, they put a little star on your pass. Well, in this one section, you go behind the building, and there's a red building, and it just has a sign that says Liberty. It's for veterans only. You go in there, you get free coffee, free cocoa, whatever you want, but it's only for veterans, and you have to have that little star on your tag, otherwise you can't get in. Well, <laughs> when we went, I was active, wasn't I? Yeah, so like, I, maybe we gotta go back and... Yeah, it, uh, it's in the section, that they call it the bar section, or the pub section, but it's behind one of the buildings. Up Did you go up in that old Presbyterian church? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I, I stood yeah, up also, there. <laughs> what? I went, I went to the Scottish store that was there. They had a store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Well, An English town with a Scottish, a Scottish store. <laughs> I'm sure the Scots <laughs> feel it. Well, Kate's family Scots. Okay. She's Leslie by... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a we have a, a weird history. I know. Uh, I had I had heard stories from my you know from my grandfather and stuff, and you know it just. Did they, those <laughs> stories from your from your heritage inspire you to join the military, or were? No, I just. Uh, it, I just. I now I look back on it, and I seen a more powerful hand in my decision making. I was, I was at the the little shop eating some french fries and that all of a sudden I thought I need to enlist see if I can go into service you know I mean it wasn't something I was thinking about talking about it's just something that popped into my head 
So Elizabeth is only a couple miles away, so I walked on over to Elizabeth and went in and signed up. Just like that. Just like that. Uh, up at the church, they used to laugh because I just get this feeling that I'm going to go by the church. We can buy a church. And I walk in and say, we were just talking about something we wanted you to do, something like that. You know. So I just follow my instincts, and it always seems to, to lead me right. And I always I always say I feel like it's, you know, God God puts me where he wants me. Well, let's talk about that a minute. You come back from Vietnam, and you're drinking. Because, you, uh, you, I mean, you're almost like debriefing yourself. Yeah. Like a lot of, I've, I've heard people say, well, like, well, you veterans are a little crazy. I, I think that we're not crazy. We're trying to take care of in process we're trying to adapt what we went through yeah because when you go through three years of intense trauma like you're doing I mean you could be killed at any time something could blow up at any time uh, on top of that you're trying to work and you're trying to defend your friends uh, to keep yourself safe and it doesn't go away at night it's not like oh Day's over, you punch out, you go home, you're safe. You live it 24-7. You're under that kind of stress 24-7. It alters your brain. No, no one ever comes back from the military with the same brain they went into. Because the stresses that they're under are so intense. Now, some people cope better than others. Some people just don't really adjust and then some people just don't want to adjust you know and so well, you know what's weird like so I know my brigade commander my battalion commander and then the last commander I had um uh for the combat stress that's retired all, all three of these guys are still serving the nation they're either in GS jobs or or doing something to serve. Yeah. And and it's weird when I see a veteran who comes home. Now, not the now I'm not talking about the guys that are on disability. Yeah. But the guys that come home and they're like, I'm just gonna sit on the couch. I, I it's almost like that's the quickest way to death. Yeah. Because they 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 give up. You know i I don't have to worry about being shot. I don't have to worry about. Um, Two huts over from us. Middle of the night. They snuck in. Viet Cong snuck into the hut. And slit the throat of the man in the middle rack. Of every one? No. Just one hut. Just killed one man in that hut. Nobody slept for a week. Three people were shot coming off watch. Opening the door. Without hollering that they were coming in. I mean you talk about terrorizing somebody. Because there's no locks on these doors. It's just a, yeah. a, a post and roof and screen wrapped around him. Same thing. So they just walk in the door. He snuck in and killed one man. And he did more damage than if he'd have ran through with a gun shooting people. I mean, and then you got that stress. You're, you're trying to sleep. But every little sound, you know, you're so hyper, hyper alert that every little sound, if a rat scurries across the floor, you hear it. Uh, you know, and stuff like that, you know. It just stays in your brain. It, it, you know, I say, I, I really believe that your brain alters, and it doesn't go back. 
it, it changes. It's a, it's a stress that just doesn't leave you. I mean, I get, I've had time, like I say, a sound or uh, a smell or something uh, triggers it. Just you, you, took you, you right back. You're right back. You know, you'll be fine. I'll be fine for, for months. How, how old do you say you were? 70? I'm 74. And all of a sudden, you're back to I'm being back 23, 24, yep. to 25 years old. Yep. It's just, I've, I've had times where I was sitting in the coffee shop and a song would come on. and Yeah, because she plays great music. She plays great music. And it transports you back. I mean, you know, you're back in country. Uh, it, it's just. When Did you watch Platoon? No. I don't watch you know, only only Vietnam movie I watched that was more sort of realistic to me was John Wayne's Green Beret. That was more like what it was. Uh, we built special forces camp because that's what you did. That's what I did, yeah. and that's the way people were. I mean, you know, uh, you know, remember in the military, someone calls you an asshole. That's a term of endearment. It is. <laughs> no. It, like... <laughs> you know, <laughs> our, our tribe is like that. Now, like, I, I, I mean, you you greet someone from the military. You know, the things you call them and stuff. You know, it makes you feel good. You know, we're back together. You know, <laughs> well, and it's weird too because it's almost like you create this. I get it. I get it about the the rawness. I get it about the crudeness. And it's weird too because like from. Iraq and Afghanistan to Vietnam, man, totally different everything. Yeah. But the end result on me is almost like the same on you, yeah. where I didn't drink all the time, but when they said, here, take this, I didn't say no. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't, and you kind of know where it's going. It's not like I'm an yeah. idiot. Yeah. I, I went back to Mississippi for a reunion a couple years ago, and we got to go back to the base. Oh, boy. And uh, while well, my barracks was gone, uh, they had Camille. I got transferred out of Gulfport, Mississippi, a week before Camille wiped out Gulfport. Oh, okay. And the only place, only way I knew where my barracks was, was because the chapel was at the end of the road, and I, there was there was another barracks between me and the chapel. But those barracks are gone. And the chapel's and, still there. Chapel's still there, and a lot of the stuff is all. Everything's all changed. Uh, they're training Red Horse now, on, on the CB base. But they have women in it now. I can't imagine how we could have had women with us in Vietnam. I mean, I don't know how many times we just scraped out some dirt in a hole and laid down. That was your bed. You know, because there was no barracks, no nothing. Well, well I'll tell you. Now, being with women <clears throat> in Afghanistan, I've seen them do things like that. I mean, like, yeah. you're going like... And and, and and some of them ladies. But no privacy. I mean, no, no. There's no, no, no like no. when you everybody's got a crap right there. Yeah. They crap right there too. Yeah. And they're just. I, I think to myself like, dude, some of the greatest warriors I know are women. Oh yeah. And it, but you're right. It's like, I don't know how they're doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, like, because yeah. they're doing the same thing the guys are doing side by side. Mm-hmm. You know, people still have periods. Yep. People still go through all this stuff. And biologically, there's this huge difference. Yeah. But physically and mentally, yeah. they, they're right there. They got to do it. You yep. got to survive. Yep. Yep. And uh, and like I'm just like wow. Um, yeah. we... I tell you, one one skill the Navy taught me above anything else is I could go to sleep on a pile of bricks. 
I mean, I can pretty awesome. if I if, if I if I'm if I'm ready, I can lay down anywhere and go to sleep. But well, will you stay asleep? I never stay asleep. I sleep maybe three hours and I'm up. Yeah. Or any sound. If it's if it's quiet, a noise will wake me. If it's noisy and it goes quiet, it'll wake me. When my wife had to wake me up, all she had to do was stand in the doorway of the bedroom. And you could and tell. I was up. Yeah. It, it's it's from the PTSD. It's called hyper alertness. And uh, I know but, as soon as a light comes on somewhere, I wake up. Yeah, but uh, I, you know, three hours. I'll get up, go to the bathroom, or something like that. Sometimes I'll go right back to bed. Sometimes I, I make little jewelry things occasionally, and I like to do a little art. Just keep busy, and I'll do, maybe I'll do that for a few minutes, then I'll go back to bed and go back to sleep. But I very, very rarely sleep more than. Now, do you have kids? I have one son, yeah. and thank God he's he's forty two years old. Never smoked, never drank, never did any of that stuff. But he had a lot of health problems, and we're finding out now it's because I was exposed to Agent Orange. Because I've talked to several people whose kids had all the same symptoms as my son had. He had uh, uh, no immunities against inhalant diseases. Uh, he was a juvenile epileptic. He was the most severe asthmatic Sacred Heart Hospital I've ever seen. He was an epileptic. Hundred hundred and two allergies. Now he's been able to, I'd say, in the past fifteen years, been able to control it or overcome. He got. We tried everything, and the doctor we had at the time, she said, pediatrician. She says, we've done everything there is in the book. We've even written new books. She says the only thing we haven't done is tried holistic. She said, would you be interested in looking at it? So. At the time, there was a holistic doctor in Pensacola, in Panama City. So we went over there, and she says, well, I can help his asthma. And they gave him infusions of peroxide. What? The peroxide oxygenates the blood. Uh-huh. And that got his asthma under control. Once we got his asthma under control, the medicines for the other things started working better because... The asthma medicine was was interfering with the other medicine. Stuff you never would know. Stuff you never would know. Well, and that and that's why I think it's important. You know, we live in this day and age where you go and you see the doctor. They got fifteen minutes, and then they have to chart. Yeah. And and so type like, it all in. Yeah, and so I, my doctor, she, uh, I was having these panic attacks. We well, you've heard me yeah. talk about them. Before. I, I get them too. Do you? And you know what my doctor told me? She said. Most of the people they're finding that make it to the ER with these panic attacks are dehydrated a little bit. So she's got a deal, and I made I made a commitment with her. I sit down, I get a bottle of water, drink the whole bottle of water, we pray, and I breathe for ten minutes. She's like, I want you to pray because somehow, you know, and she's not like you got to pray to this God or that yeah. none of that stuff. She's just like, I want you to pray because when you calm down mm-hmm. and you're meditating. And you're drinking that water, and Kate has stood beside me in the middle of Lowe's and, and a couple other stores with her watch going, or the phone, whatever, going, you got another five minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to go to the hospital. She's like, five more well, minutes. Do it, doing math, too. Doing multiplication tables and stuff in your head. Really? It, it, distra- it sort of like distracts your brain. See, what gets me is if, now if I go to the coffee shop, if I'm sitting with my back to the wall, I'm fine. If they get a lot of people, I'm okay. 
if I'm not with my back to the wall and I get a lot of people, I just, it just, I just feel uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. Well, and I, I I've always noticed you do. You sit right on that wall <laughs> yeah. over the side, like cause you go, you go catch a show all the time. Yeah. And I, I sit if I, in fact, this conference, five hundred people in the room. What wow, I did was I man. sat in the front and I turned. I sat in the very front on the right side and I turned my chair so that the people were all like on this side of me or in front of me, and I was able to get through it. But other than that. Uh, one time we went to one, and we were kind of like in the middle. And man, I was like, "I just gotta get out of here." <laughs> yeah, and that that just it just gets me. You know, just the crowds. Have, Even have, when I go to church, I have my own little corner in the back, the back right hand corner. And I tell them, I said, "Well, that's if somebody comes in with a gun." I said, "When a, a man comes in with a gun, he sweeps from left to right. I'm on the right side. That gives me plenty of time to get to him." <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the thing. I walk into a room. Where's the exit? Where's for, where's cover? You know, it's, it's situational awareness. Every place I go, it's just automatic. Since twenty five years old. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, when I walk through parking lots, I look where vans are parked. You know, just it's just being aware of everything, and I just do it automatically. I look, walk into a room. What can I use as a weapon if I need it? You know. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just. Do you, now, do you have grandkids? Nope, he's not married. He, he mostly works nights, so he doesn't have much of a social life. He's kind of a Peter Pan. First off, he didn't attend school because of his health problems. He was homebound. So we had teachers, and we hired tutors to come in. He's very smart, but his big thing is, like, on Fridays, he goes into Fort Walton Beach Gaming. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's his, that's his social life. You know, one of the things, like, while I was a chaplain, I, I, I did a lot of gaming. Yeah. Because I, you re, you connect with people. Yeah. And so even when I was tired, I could go do some gaming at home. I'm refreshing, and then I can get back out there. That was one of the things I quit doing. I quit having fun yeah. for a while. Yeah, that's what you know. They, the counselor asked me what I do for fun, and I really couldn't tell her. I said the closest thing I do for fun is I go listen to live music. That's about it. You do that. That's how we met. Yeah, I I, I go up there on Tuesday nights. I listen to the open mic night. Occasionally, I'll go to Hibiscus on Saturday night. Listen to them up there, but pretty much that's that's it. If I'm not at the coffee shop or at a coalition thing, I'm home. I'm home. Yeah. And do you uh, fish or any? I mean, that's a big area. Don't fish. That. Don't hunt. I I haven't. When I first came back, it was, I had after you hunt men, hunting animals was just. Dumb. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I they don't I, shoot back, and it's no fun, no challenge. <laughs> I didn't have that problem as a challenge, but um, but no, I like it. It's just I've I had a colonoscopy on Tuesday, and I went fishing Tuesday afternoon. That's a pain in the ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I only have to have one more. You were telling and then, me and that I'm done for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I I brought that up to the doctor. The doctor <laughs> says. Yeah, he says, we discover something. You, you got this much time, and after you get in your seventies at a certain age, seventy-five, yeah. seventy-five, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, he said, how are you going anyway? So, and it's such a slow-growing cancer that we're not even going to push. Yeah, because you told me that, and I was like, I want to make sure that he's getting. The guy's like, yeah, he's getting good care. But yeah, it's uh, uh, 
you know, I guess there's some advantage to being old. At least I'm my my mind is still somewhat intact. Well, I didn't, I didn't know you were in your seventies. Yeah, I, I know. I get people tell me that all the time. They say I don't look seventy and I don't act seventy. Well, yeah. you're. But growing old is is mandatory. Growing up is optional. There we go. <laughs> I, I hope nobody thinks that I'm too serious. <laughs> well, you know, like um, I wanted to ask you about um, the music you hear because you've been listening for a long time. A long time. So yeah. you were in Vietnam listening to music too. Oh yeah. Good morning, America. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> hey, oh, hey, so that was based on a true story, right? Oh yeah. At six o'clock in the morning when we were getting up, I, I had a clock radio. Yeah. And it would come on to him. Good morning, Vietnam. See, they played like Bing Crosby and stuff like that music all the time. His music was rock and roll, baby. That was the only <laughs> now. I mean, we used, I used to set my, I had a real real tape player, mm-hmm. and I'd set it up and record the songs. So you and can then, play it back later. And then later on, if we were sitting at night or something, we'd put that on and get to listen to some rock and roll. I used to uh, write letters to radio stations and tell them I was from that town and I always listened to their station. You know, could they send me a a tape of one of their shows? Because you couldn't buy real real tapes. I mean, they were hard to get than hen's teeth. Really? So you'd write these radio stations, and they would send you their shows and stuff on a tape. And we would record over them. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> but, you know, I said, where are you from? Oh, the radio station you listen to. That. <laughs> That's how I recorded my first rock and roll, but it was some preacher. <laughs> gotta do improvise adapt overcome if there's a will there's a way so of, of all those old bands i mean like, you, you told us about uh country joe and the fish country joe well, and the that, fish. That, they were after vietnam that they were after vietnam. That, they wrote that during song the vietnam Woodstock. time who was it oh heck otis redding to doctor the bay oh yeah uh Blue Moon, a blue moon, he saw me standing alone. I mean, just, I can't even remember some of the ones back from then. It just, it was so many. But it got you moving in a in a direction where, I think that's kind of self-care. Yeah. You know, because the, the music, well, it's proven fact that music helps your brain. You know, it, it works on your calming and stuff like that. And uh, Live music is, is, is a therapy. It's it considered a therapy. That's why I go and listen. I, I enjoy listening. A lot. Even even when they're bad, they're good. <laughs> you know, I can't play. So whatever they, you know, they're they're ten times better than me, even if they're bad. Well, you know. and, and if you let, I think if you let somebody play long enough, they get better. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. kind of a. I mean, I can, I can play a kazoo, but <laughs> I'm good with the radio. I Man, I can play a radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's one guy told me in Mobile. He was like, we're out there working on. The, he's like, man, I play a mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, you just uh, uh, if I, I do things that make me get out of the house, otherwise I won't leave. I just, you know, my son gets mad because I always have the drapes drawn. You know, uh, one time I was my wife and I was home, and I told her I said I just got out of the shower. I said, "Hey, pull the drapes, not wearing anything." 
Just don't worry about it. If they see you, they'll pull their, they'll pull their drapes. <laughs> she had a good sense of humor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I say she kept... How did you guys meet? I was I was uh, voted uh, junior vice, elected junior vice uh, commander of the VFW. And they had uh, the officer installation party. Mm-hmm. And her uh, her father was a member. She came. She thought her and I were the only two sober ones there. She was drinking. <laughs> she was drinking. She was drinking Seven Up. I was drinking straight vodka. Uh, <laughs> she thought you were sober. She, she thought I was just like I am now. Just, you know. And she thought, and we met, and we talked and stuff. And she, she was work. She was a buyer for Bamberger's, uh, a big department store, Macy's Corporation. Okay. And she was going to a conference in Washington. So I, I said, oh, I'll call you when you come back. You know. And I called her, and we went on a date, and went up to her place, and never left. <laughs> just cool, just hit it right off, you know. Just, How long were y'all married? 40 years. Dude, props, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, well see, I, I, I can always tell by her hand gestures when she was upset, especially when they were around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> You got some funny stuff, man. <laughs> have you thought about comedy, like stand up? Nah. nah. I have all I can do. I can have all I can do to read my poems. Yeah. I get up there and I start reading them and I've read them a dozen times, but about halfway through they start getting blurry and my voice starts to crack and if I like I've got I want to get you a uh, copy another Vietnam vet who was a he was a medic and um his name's David Rose. And I'll at least connect you two. I, I man, I have a copy of his book he gave me. It, uh, poems, amazing. I, it is amazing. And and I sat and read Dave Rose's poems because he, a medic in Vietnam, you know, like oh. he's just. I read and I cried. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can imagine. And when Kate's crying, then I'm like, yeah, well, like it made me cry. You know, just, well, one of the guys uh, that goes to my church, but he also. Uh, he plays music. He's the one that's turning my, my one song, my one poem into a song. But his son, they manufacture books, and he wants to take my poems that I have. I got a whole stack of them, and put them into a into a book for me. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'm still writing them, so. Well, you know, at the beginning of what I was doing, I met David Rose. Yeah. And one of the guys that I was there was like, "You need to start playing music." Like I'd written, you know, I've got yeah. tons of songs about this. Yeah. Song. And he said. uh guy's like that's helping me I was like what are you talking about and then David Rose got up and talked about how writing the poetry and putting it in book form and he he's also a guitar player and does much yeah. stuff he's like the art will save you like and I, yeah. I don't mean like you're not gonna die well, like the, the first poem like, I wrote uh, I, I went there December two years ago and I went there just to hear it to see what it was like and after listening to it, I was saying, well, I could probably do that. So I went home, and I started just writing stuff. Just I always, whenever I write anything, I just put everything on paper and then go back through it and filter it out and stuff like that. But when I got done, I had five pages. Then I started fixing it, rhyming it, and got it down to one page. Wow. And my whole life. <laughs> well... When I when I was young, skinny and strong, I never thought I'd live this long. Uh, and then you know, went on 
finding found a good woman, made her my wife. You know, we were happy the rest of our life. But <clears throat> and just sort of went through, you know, now she's gone, I'm all alone. But I just put a, you know, I served and I served when called and uh, it was a never forget the things I saw, you know, stuff like that. And it just Well, was, I'm glad you're talking about the things you saw. Yeah, I mean they they say it it helps desensitize you, and it does and it doesn't. It's just sometimes it almost sounds like bragging, you know. And sometimes it's just. But but I think we're losing it. We're we're at a place where we don't it, know. We don't know what yeah, happened in yeah, Vietnam. People don't know what we went through, what we did. I mean, when you go out there. And you find someone that had been missing for three days, and you find out he's been all cut up with a machete up his butt, you know. And then they determine this was all done while he was still alive, you know. Uh, and then whenever you you did engage, because they were Buddhist and they felt that they had to have their whole body be buried, you'd, you'd hack up the body and throw the parts away, so that they couldn't, so they they couldn't pass on to their next. You know, and the, you saw that. Did that, you know. I mean, that was your life. You you were yeah, out there with that we guy. There, yeah, and you we, found him, and you, yeah, we were, we found him. Uh, you had to pick. Oh, like, here's a piece of a skin and a nose yeah, and a shoulder yeah, over here. Yeah, here. Here's his arm and there's his leg. And you're finding that for the family, and and, yeah. and yet at the same time, but you get you're carrying the, him around. The, the problem your was, after a while, you get so desensitized. I mean, we found some Vietnamese that were killed. So we were waiting on a truck to come out. Well, it's lunchtime. Stack a few bodies, sit on them, and eat your lunch. You know, you, I mean, they're not human. They're enemy. So you and, don't think of them as people. And what happens now when you, I mean, when you realize that they are people, they're just like yeah, you and me. I still, I still don't think, but I'll tell you one thing. I can't deal with an animal, a sick animal, a hurt animal. Really? I, I can't. Can't kill an animal. A man, I no problem with. So, yeah. so what did you said? Hit on that real quick. The so that you guys were taught that like the Vietnamese are less than human, less than human, less. Right, than they're human. enemy. Well, enemy. Not not that they're less human. They're enemy. They're enemy. Okay. Which so, the only purpose was to be shot. So now, if we're walking to the store there and you run into a Vietnamese person, it still bothers me. And you can't. And you know it's wrong. You know. I know. I you're know. Like. That. This is not the god of this cross. I but... I had I had a lawyer that was a son, a Vietnamese son of a guy who was in Vietnam, you know, from Vietnam. Yeah. You know, and I, I talked with him, but his his father had nice things to say about us because of where he was. But it still like the hairs on back of your neck, you know, enemy, you know. To me Oh, because you're in danger. Well, to me, they're traitors. I would never run away from my country. I would stand and fight till I was dead, you know, out of bullets, out of blood, you know. Because that's where you were at. That, that's where we are. But these people abandoned their country. They wouldn't fight for it when we were there to help them. And then they, then we brought them here. You know, they're traitors, they're deserters. And I so mean, you're living with it. This is turmoil that doesn't go away. No, it, it, you know, you, you have this, you know, an old man set in his ways, you know. Uh, I know what I believe. Don't try. Don't confuse me with facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, it's it's that's that's like you know when people walk up to you, Stephen, and they say thank you for my service. 
I mean, that's why I ask that hard stuff because it, it, it's uncomfortable. Because they don't know. They don't know that if you run into a Vietnamese in a store, you're going like enemy, enemy. If, well, they're not Vietnamese. They're gooks. Wait, that, and, that's a more desensitization. That, that's what we called them. They were gooks. And and like because we were over there, and we we would say the uh, the Hodge Haj, the Hajis. Yeah. Going down to the Haji market or whatever. Yeah. And and it's and it's a desensitization of a human right. of a human being. Yeah. It's e- it's easier to kill someone if you don't. Think Personal about it. Don't if you don't person, if you don't look at it as another person, as a, as a person created in the image of God, yeah, and it's like inside it can tear you apart. Yeah, it can destroy your soul. Yeah, I mean, if I w- if I'd have been a a good Christian, if I'd have been a good Christian back then, it would have been probably ten times worse. It would have been hard. I probably would have been dead because I don't think I, I'd have hesitated shooting. But as it was, I was indoctrinated. That's why I say. Young men go into service because they're easily manipulated. They're too stupid to know that they shouldn't be there. And the government tells them what to think. So they don't have to decide what's right or wrong. Well, and it's the oldest profession. Yeah. I mean, well, other than sex. Yeah. But war is, yeah. People been Since doing Cain hit Abel with a rock. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it just, uh, but. Uh, and a whole bunch of people got out. Fortunately, there's yeah. people that get out quick. There's, and there's folks like yeah. you and I who it wasn't quick, but we made it through well, it. I would have stayed in the service. They came up to me and they said, you have a problem. I said, oh, what's that? I was in New York. He says, we're losing a lot of steel workers. I was a steel worker in the CBC. And he says, we need, we need to, to send you back to a battalion to go back over there, but you don't have enough time. I only had a year and three months. They said, you either need to extend or re-enlist early. To go back to Vietnam for number four. And I stood there and I thought about it for a minute and I says, I think you have the problem because I don't want to go. I'm glad you did it. <laughs> you know. I'm glad you did it. Your son's glad you did it. Oh, Your yeah. wife's glad you yeah, did I mean, it. They, here they tell you, they're killing people, a lot of people in your rank. You know, We need more people to send over there to be killed. And so, fortunately at that time, my father's factory had closed down. And I was taught, because they sent the chaplain to talk to me and stuff like this, because because of where I'd been, what I've done, I was prime person they wanted to get over there because of my experience Oh yeah, and stuff. And, uh, you got a little, let's get a little more. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I didn't need any more medals. I already had a chest full, you know. But uh, my father's plant had closed down so the chaplain said, just a minute. And he walked out and he come back and he said, here, sign this. I said, what? You know, what do you want me to sign? Good move. He says, hardship discharge. <laughs> go, chaplain. So I went from a year, I went from a year and three, I went from a year and three months to go to 48 hours. Awesome. <laughs> and I, when I walked out, I walked out, oh, out the gate, walked over a little ways. Dumped my sea bag out, sprayed it with lighter fluid, set it on fire, and walked off. <laughs> but you still—I was done. But you still carry it to this day. Yeah, you know, I got rid of the sea bag, but the, I still got the baggage. The baggage keeps—it's—it's, it's, you know. Yeah. Have you? You're from New Jersey. Have you watched Springsteen on Broadway? No. There's so what he did. Was he goes in a in a theater? It's all live. 
There's no, like, it, there's mess-ups, and it, they just kept it. Yeah. And he stands there, and he tells story after story, and he talk. I, and I played this for Kate's dad. Um, how, how old's your dad? 68. 68, so he's a little younger than you. And uh, Springsteen stands there, and he talks about not being drafted. And he said, and what I, what I learned is somebody went in my place. He said, every time I go to D.C., and I, I look at that wall, and I realize somebody went in my place. Well, see, you know, when people ask me, you know, some people will sort of gloat, you know, well, I got out, I didn't go, I went to Canada and stuff like this. And the way I see it is, that's your choice. You know, that's where you was led. Yeah. I was led a different path. Yeah. You know, so so you got out, you know, you said you were gay or you, you, you had flat feet or something like that. That's all well and good, you know. I don't, I don't have any animosity towards them. Well, I mean, and then, then there's this guilt, like Springsteen, like the yeah, ultimate storyteller, yeah. going, "I'm kind of guilty. Like I feel guilt. I'm glad I didn't go." But yeah, and, and, and I look at like he guilty because he didn't go. Yeah. yeah, and I look at people and they're like, "Well, I, I wish I'd went." And I'm like, "I'm, I'm glad my brother didn't get in, in the army." Yeah. I, but I know people that were in the army and in the Marines that never went there. Yeah, they, they stayed too. here in the states. That, uh, and I'm my, glad they didn't go too. My brother went in the Marine Corps. Yeah, because he got tired of seeing me coming home with more and more medals, and listening to people talk about me. So he joined the Marine Corps. He got sent to the Philippines, and he got shot by a civilian. <laughs> <laughs> but he never went to Vietnam. I'm glad. You know, and so you know, it's just. Uh... Are Are you glad that he oh. didn't go to Vietnam? Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad and sad that my son, because of his health problems, couldn't go into the military. I'm sad because I think every man should go into the military for two years. Because it teaches you how to survive, how to live on your own, to take care of yourself. You know, like, uh, like when my wife and I got together, we were laughing because I was a better cook than her. I could sew. Being the oldest of nine kids, I could change, take, take care of babies, change diapers, all that stuff. So, I was better at almost everything. The only thing she cooked better than me was Italian food. But other than that... <laughs> was she Italian? Well, her family... Is that Italian? She, she had to, her aunt that raised her was married to an Italian fella. You know, you go there for Christmas Eve, and you go there, and you eat for three hours, and you go to church, and you come back, and you eat for another two hours, and open gifts. <laughs> you know, I mean, they put Man, it... Making me hungry right six, now. <laughs> six, six people, and they got a table ten foot long, just full of everything you can imagine. You know, yeah, manja, manja. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's, it it doesn't. I mean, it bothers me. Like some, like I say, when someone walks up to me and you know thanks me for my service, and you know, I wear the hat just so people would know that, that we're still around. The most of these people that come up, they have no idea what it means to have gone to Vietnam. They don't. They weren't even born. Yeah. When Vietnam was around. So, and it just, I mean, you know, I always, you know, my honor and stuff like that, but uh, it's just to remind people that there was a war and that people did die and it was a, a stupid, senseless war with no purpose like we're doing now, you know, no purpose, no ending. It was just. How, how long have we been in Afghanistan now? Oh, 20 years. But, it's... you know. We wrote we wrote we we wrote a petition on my second tour yeah. and sent it to the White House, <laughs> suggesting they declare a victory and pull us out. <laughs> Why not? 
<laughs> you know, it just seemed obvious. Just, okay, we win. Bye. <laughs> well, you know, we'll never know why we're there. I don't think we'll ever know. Well, I can tell you exactly why we fight our wars. The military-industrial complex. They make they become millionaires. Yeah. And the politicians well, become that. millionaires from providing the contracts. And, you know, like they say, whenever they, whenever they say military grade, I cringe. Because, remember, military grade was the lowest bidder. Lowest bidder. <laughs> every time. I, mean, I remember when they first gave it, they took the M14s and gave us the M16s. You know, don't drop it in the mud. Don't, you know, make sure you clean it every, every time you use it. Well, I mean, they would work, they wouldn't work. Oh, so you had the A18, the yeah. first one. Yeah, oh, man, I'll tell you. And I'll, I'll tell you something that I didn't like about that. With the M14, if you had ammunition, you could smack someone with that stock and they're going down. You hit him with that Mattel gun and it was a breakaway. Oh, <laughs> and you did, I, I guess, the way you're saying it. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it was designed for pilots to carry the small weapon that they could carry. If they had to parachute out, they it was small that they could carry with them. It wasn't, the, I mean, it was perfect for the jungle because it was short. Because yeah. with the M14, you could get snagged on branches and vines and whatever. This gun, you held it close, you could all pull it right close to you. And, so, yeah. as a as a CB, clearing the, talking about the jungle real quick, it, man, we could stop whenever too, because I'll ask <laughs> more questions you probably want to answer. Oh, any questions. So, uh, Grenades. Well, you guys like just issued here's grenade. I mean, you're oh yeah, you're working on you're you're driving a bulldozer. This is my mind's vision. You're driving a bulldozer. You got a a weapon right here beside you. You've got grenades on you. Okay, here's how here's how we work. We're building the bridge. Okay. We get to the job site. We take off our flak jackets. We have grenades with the flag well, the jackets. Well, the flag jackets won't stop anything either. For yeah, the, we had the old the, plate ones <laughs> to start with. Then we got the smaller ones. But when you take off the flag jacket because they're too hot to work in. You take off your helmet because it's too hot to work in. You put your jacket, your rifle, your ammunition, grenades, whatever you have with you, off to the side where you could get at it easy. Then you go to work. As soon as they start shooting... You quick drop down, grab your stuff with your jacket, helmet on, and you do what you have to do. Then when it's over with, you stack everything back on the side, and you go back to work. Hopefully you catch a glass of water in between. Oh, God, you can never drink enough water. <laughs> drink between water and salt pills. I mean, you pop salt pills all day long. Did you get malaria? No. Nope. But, uh, but it, you know, the fun part, you find out who your friends are when you cross a river, and they have to do a... Uh, uh, what do they call it? Leech, a leech check on you. What do you mean? You gotta drop your drawers, and you have to look at your butt and legs and see if you have any leeches. Were there leeches all over you? Oh yeah, you get whenever you cross a river. You I generally... saw that in the movies, but it's just yeah. like that. Yeah, you get the, you get the guy with the cigarette, and you just touch him with a cigarette, and they fall off. But cigarettes were saving lives. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> I didn't smoke. But... That's the, only, that's the only, only reason I'm alive today if I didn't smoke. Because otherwise, the asbestos scarring I have, the asbestos I breathe in, would have been mesothelioma, would have been cancerous. But because I never smoked. Oh, because the combination of the... The, the tobacco and the mesothelioma in the lungs, you get cancer. Is that one of the reasons, like, that so many people died? Oh, man, 
smoking. So, you know, Robin Williams did that movie, Goodwill Hunting. Okay. No, no, not Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam, yeah. And you talked about that. And then he did something else about this asbestos stuff. And and then and then a few years later, one of America's best comedians joins the ranks of people who die. When I watched Good Morning Vietnam, I remember thinking, hey, that dude is awesome. Like it was awesome. You know, like he's running around and they're trying to shut him down. He's playing rock and roll yeah. and and then here you tell me, yeah, man, that like made our day. That's how we started the day, every day. And, and with that then, radio station. And then he commits suicide, completes it. And I'm on this, like, I'm on, like, I don't know how long I'm going to keep going. You know, I, I got no clue. Yep. And I'm, I'm in this, like, I'm like a madman. Like, I've sold my house to live in this. And, and here we are, and we're doing this because it's important. And I think about Robin Williams a lot. I think about like how he just took so much pain on. Like he had to study for that. Yeah. He probably talked to dozens of you guys. He might have, yeah. Like I said, all I know is that he's come on at six o'clock, we turn that radio up and you know, while we get dressed, I had to, <clears throat> a bunch of us had dumbbells. We'd start out working out with dumbbells and then go get breakfast and then see where they were sending us today. You know. Just yeah. a whole new, like, you let's know, try to make it through this day. Some days, you know, you get done with breakfast and you form up and they say, okay, C Company, uh, you're going here, uh, D Company there. Oh, C Company, pick up a couple extra magazines. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you, you normally carried, we normally carried four magazines and one in the gun. But if we were going out so at different distance from the base... Then they would say, grab another four, couple well, of frags. Gr- those frag grenades, I've, I've thrown a couple in basic training. We had to get rid of them, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But we got to throw a couple extra. And uh, rather frightening. Not even, not, not frightening when it's going off. It's frightening when you're holding the thing and pulling the pin. Because... That could be the real last you drop move it. right there. Yeah, if someone shoots you right there, you drop. Goofball behind you drops yeah. the thing. You're... <laughs> yeah, well, you know why uh, uh, the Italians uh, didn't get issued grenades? They say, okay, you pull the pin, count to six. So they go, one, two, three, four, five. See? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> oh, we used, to, we, used to, we used to tease the French guys, you know. Uh, Were you guys stationed with French guys too? Oh, we had French. I'll tell you the guys that I loved, the Koreans. Yeah? Oh, man, they'd come by and they, they'd come in the door and they'd say, We kill VZ tonight. We kill VZ tonight. And sometimes we'd go out with them and go reconning around looking. <laughs> Wait, I served with French. A um, bunch of those countries that you like. Yeah, are, yeah, we, are... we, we had some French that came. We had some French. We had some Canadians that come out to see what we do and how we do it. And, but the Koreans had this wine with a root in it in the bottle. Ooh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, well, you got, that's right. You guys were allowed to drink. Oh, are you kidding? CB's, that, that's the first contact box that comes off the ship is the beer. <laughs> I mean, we were up at Dong Ha. 
Yeah. And they had a little stand where the Army and the Marines could go up there, and they had a little book, and they could get two beers a day. We're sitting on the other. We have chairs made out of cases of beer. We're sitting on, drinking our beer, watching them. I mean, we 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 took beer with us. We're the only servant that takes beer with them wherever they go. <laughs> well, and the stuff in it, in it, it, it's amazing to me because, like, when I when I first came in the army, I was a chaplain assistant E four, and uh, there were still a few folks around that had either experienced the guys from Vietnam or been trained by them. And the one guy told me, he said, uh, he said, you know. We used to we used to have two beers at lunchtime, all of us. Mm-hmm. We'd all sit down and have a beer together because it just helps you get through the day. <laughs> well, well, we always we always thought that we were the most physically fit alcoholics in the in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> well, so I, I have to get ready to go because I have to go to a prevention coalition meeting this afternoon. Cool. Anything you'd like to say to vet church? On your way out. Um, if you served, hang in there. Uh, I got tell I got tell people, you know, they say to me, "Well, you worried about things getting better?" I say, "Well, eventually I'm gonna die, and I'm not gonna go one day before my time." That's true. Uh, do what you can. Find something that feeds your soul. Be it music or pinball or. Uh, Coloring books. <laughs> if you're a marine, <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for being part of this. Hey, thank you for letting me do this. I and and it. just your friendship over the last two years has helped me figure out what I'm doing. Well, I, I like the idea of what you're doing, traveling around, and you know, you have to keep poking the people. Let them know, you know, veterans are real people. We've been there, we've done that, and you ought to be grateful that we're, that they're they're dumb enough to go do it. There's something to that. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you later, Vet Church. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.